we've had a pretty damn good season. We've played fairly well in the playoffs. I think we're getting better. And we're up 23 points in the third quarter against Golden State. And Kawhi goes down like that. And you want to know if our chances are less, and you want to know how we feel, that's how we feel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Dropping Dimes. I'm the good-looking half of the crew, Brittany Johnson, <laughs> alongside Sasha Bloom. Sasha, what's going on? You're so mean to me, Brittany Johnson. <laughs> you can be the other good-looking half. No, just... That'd be factually incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Our special guest today is Andy Larson, Utah Jazz, beat writer for KSL.com. Andy, thanks for being here so much. I'm already offended. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me see if no, I can I'm change this here. for you. You've got a big fan in Sasha Bloom. Oh, well, thank you. I admire you, and I think what you've done as a young person in media is remarkable. So... That's off for me to you. I, are you young? How old are you? I'm 25. You are young. So, yeah. How old are you? Too old. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> no, 28. I'm 28. Okay. She turns yeah. 44 next week. So we're, <laughs> we're about in the same bracket. We're, we're in the same bracket. <laughs> All right, uh, Andy, so what's going on with you nowadays that the uh, jazz season is over? Yeah, so, I mean, there's kind of uh, – everyone's always surprised at how much work there is to do in the off season, but there is. I mean, there's draft workouts this time of year. The the NBA Combine was just this weekend. Uh, and then there are all these rumors about draft and free agency and, and trades and those sorts of things that you kind of have to chase down and, and investigate a little bit. And so that's kind of what I'm up to right now, um, covering the Jazz. And this is a really high-interest time of year when uh, everyone's trying to figure out what the Jazz is going to be doing over the next couple of months. Uh, Jazz won 51 games regular season. Um, Rudy Gobert says they can win 60 mm-hmm. next season. What do the Jazz need to do in the offseason to win 60 games? Yeah, I, I think they need some a, a couple things. First, I think the biggest way you can get those 60 wins is health, right? You know, you look at kind of the stats behind it, and, and uh, this website, Man Games Lost, estimates how many wins that the Jazz lost last year because of injuries. And it's 9.4. So that right there gets you from 51 to 60. Now, that's not really an off-season acquisition, right? But uh, you, you look at some of the ways that this Jazz team probably needs some help. Um, backup point guard certainly was an issue, and we saw that when George Hill went out. Heck, maybe starting point guard is an issue if you can't get consistent minutes from George Hill. Uh, and then probably some more consistent contribution from the power forward spot is what the Jazz need. You know, Derek Favors being out more than half the season and, and struggling when he was back. Uh, Boris Diaw may not be the power forward option for the Jazz for the future. Trey Lyles clearly really struggled in his second year, so clearly the Jazz could use a, a upgrade at that spot. It's interesting what's going on with Utah Jazz. They're a small market team. Mm-hmm. The amount of money that they might be spending with George Hill and Gordon Hayward, not necessarily this year or next year, but once you start getting into four and five years of Gordon Hayward's contract, you're in the $40 million range. Yeah. Would you trade a sign-and-trade with Hayward for a draft pick or for another young guy that you can manage your cap as a small market team? Yeah, that's that's a good question, but I, I, I don't think so because I, I don't know what the odds are of— I mean, this is a very good draft, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't know what the odds are of some of these guys, besides maybe Markel Fultz, being better than Gordon Hayward. You know, I, I would take— The rule is you never take—you never trade NBA talent for a player that's never— been in the NBA, right? Right, and I, I mean, I think sometimes you do, but I, I think Gordon Hayward is is a legitimate top 20, top 15 kind of player right now, and you kind of hope that one day 
Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball or, you know, Josh Jackson, some of these guys can become that. So I, I, I can't imagine that they would trade that. And, and truthfully, Gail Miller and the Jazz's ownership have uh, allowed Dennis Lindsay to go up to the luxury tax line. So that's $121 million in salary cap or in salary expenditure that they can go to. That gives them plenty of room to re-sign Gordon Hayward and keep George Hill if they want to. That's a tough decision. It's a, it's a lot of money, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I mean, but the Jazz have been cheap for a long, long time, so you'd have to think that they've had savings and have been preparing these last five, six years for this possibility, hopefully. And the good news is the, the small market thing matters way less than it used to because of the NBA's new revenue sharing sure. stuff. So, and, and it actually helps that the Jazz are such a small market. They have under 1 million house, TV households. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what that means is they actually get a higher percentage of that revenue sharing payment than bigger market teams do. That means that they can really easily make money, even if they're spending a ton of money on players like they're going to be doing next year and for seasons to come. Now, Gordon Hayward, obviously, he's, you know, the big talk right now. Is he staying? Is he going? Uh, Jazz, obviously, they present the best financial option for him, especially if he makes, well, they do present the best financial option for him. Uh, Does he stay or does he go? Yeah, I, I think he, I, I think at this point he stays. You know, I, I'm certainly not sure of it. I, you know, I'd say, like, there's a 70% chance he stays, you know, something better than 50-50. But I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that he won't be uh, swung by, say, the, the sales pitch of the Boston Celtics or the sales pitch of the Miami Heat or the, you know, the Indiana Pacers, the Washington Wizards. I mean, there are a lot of teams that have the cap space or can make the cap space to make a push for him. And, heck, maybe one of those makes a convincing enough case that, they, that he signs there. But ultimately, I think there are a lot of advantages Utah has he does like it here. He likes his teammates here. He likes he likes his coach here. And you say he can get the most money from the Jazz more than any other team. But is that enough for someone to say, oh, I like it here. I like my teammates. I like this. We know Gordon Hayward wants to win. Mm-hmm. Is Quinn Snyder's the front office, are they doing enough to show Gordon Hayward, we are serious. We want you to stay. We're about winning. Yeah, um, I, I think the George Hill trade this summer was, last summer was a big deal in terms of, hey, you know, we clearly knew we had this problem and we went out and got a guy and fixed it for you, you know. Um, and then I think what happens in this draft will be a big opportunity to do more of the same. So I think it's it's going to be important for the Jazz to keep acquiring talent and make clear that, you know, they're not happy with the status quo of getting swept in the second round. They don't need much, though. They're on paper. Their starters they are really solid. The, the thing that I've seen that blows my mind back is when Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert are on the floor mm-hmm. because it seems to me that Gobert gets passive. He'll kind of get about 18, 20 feet away and kind of let Favors work, but he's no longer in an interior presence. He's trying to let Favors do that. And then I watch Favors kind of do that a lot with Gobert, and they I, they don't seem like they have a great chemistry or they're trying to let the other one perform so well that they hinder themselves. Do yeah. you see a truth in that? Yeah, I do, and I I I don't think Derek Favors is part of the Jazz next year because I don't of, either because of those issues. He's such a good guy though, and that's the tough thing about basketball. Yeah, but he hasn't been explosive, right? No, and exactly, and it's so weird because he he's twenty five years old, right? He looks like he's thirty five with the way he's moving and the way he's jumping right now, and you know that's that's not a knock on Derek Favors or or him as a person or anything like that, but his injuries over the last eighteen months with the knee issues, the back issues, have prevented him from moving as well as as he used to, and so now. You kind of have to decide, A, is he going to get back to where he was two seasons ago? Maybe, maybe not. But B, even if he does, is he the best fit next to Rudy Gobert? 
And I think his offense and uh, his role in the offense has kind of been taken away by Rudy too. Like, you know, so he, Derek Favors used to be the main pick and roll guy on this team, right? Now it's Rudy Gobert because he's so good at finishing stuff at the rim. Uh, it just makes sense to run every screen and roll action with him. So I, I don't know what you do. I, I think I think Derek Favors has to be somewhere else next year, just, you know, assuming that the Jazz can get something back and uh, a more useful fit next to Rudy Gobert. In your head, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, I think you want you want someone who can space the floor around Rudy, right? You know, I think we saw the Joe Johnson lineup to have a ton of success against the Clippers and, and the NBA this year. Um, so someone who can space the floor can still defend power forwards. Um, and, you know, maybe who someone who gives you a little bit of ball movement and passing to someone. Maybe Sounds who, expensive. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the thing is there aren't that many of those players in league. You know, I, I'm thinking like a guy like Danilo Gallinari, for example. Um and, yeah, that's an expensive player to pick up, and you may have to trade, say, Derek Favors and Alec Burks and one or two of your picks in order to make that happen. But, on the other hand, that starting lineup with Gallo instead of Derek Favors looks really good and, and honestly really well-balanced. And takes too. a lot of pressure off Gobert, too. Yeah. Because you got, you got to protect him because he's kind of – everyone saw that Twitter uh, video of him. He's got silly feet at times, you know, and so – <laughs> when big, he got turned around yeah. who, wait who did that uh that was curry yeah and there was all the dance memes yeah. and yeah. all of that yeah. Yeah. yes but big guys they they lose their they don't have great they don't land well so their feet go far apart which creates a lot of structural issues with your hips your knees and the i mean he's hyperextended that knee two or three times in the last couple of years because he's trying to be everywhere everywhere and he can't he's seven two well that's the thing Utah Jazz, to me, were trying to do what Golden State was doing on defense, and it doesn't work for them. Golden State, the way that they are, the length that they have, the players that they have, they can afford to have your player, one Steph Curry pick up somebody, you know, some post player, some whatever. They can switch like that. Utah Jazz, they can't. They're not. They try to do that against them, and that's what happened. Rudy Gobert, he got turned around. Yeah, you you can't. I mean, it has to be a special team in order to do that, right? Like, you need... Draymond Green playing center against you in order for you not to be able to switch everything else because you know honestly everything else you, you against it depends who's playing center and and I I don't know that many other teams have kind of the the threat in a ball handling and passing sort of way that that the Warriors do and you know we saw how much trouble how much trouble that gave the Jazz talking about uh, injuries and going back to George Hill yeah um were you disappointed in him. For this, uh, for the postseason, did you want to see him? I mean, you got George Hill, obviously, so you can make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the playoffs, which he he was a big reason why you're in the playoffs, and he can't play. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's obviously hugely disappointing. Um, he said that he tweaked it in Game 7 going up for a dunk, and, and as a result, that those toe ligaments whatever strained more or whatever it was and he couldn't push off on the floor and that's kind of why we saw him play so poorly in game one of that series he went three for nine from the floor wasn't playing good defense on Steph Curry and, and kind of wasn't you could tell he wasn't moving very well uh and, and I yeah it's, it's hugely disappointing and you know you read the guy is sitting out three playoff games with a, a toe injury and you're like you know what what kind of guy is yeah, this right like, come well, on it's a but, toe but I, I think you 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 talk to like football players, right? And you, who have had these turf toe injuries and they say it's, it's debilitating. It's a three to six month injury of no, no rest or you have to rest, no work. Right. Yeah, but then Steve Tate, like I'm talking to him and he was just like, 
Yo, I played on turf toe. Really? Yeah, but there's a big difference in that you're playing once a week. You're not playing three times a week. And the amount of, I mean, the the slamming into the ends of your shoes, I imagine would be many more times in a basketball game than a football game, even though a football game is two hours longer. Steve Tate didn't play the amount of minutes that George Hill plays in one basketball game because there's two sides of offense. There's defense. There's special teams. And then he's probably not playing on third downs or, you know, and he didn't play professionally against the best athletes in the world. No offense to Steve Tate. Like, uh, I guess, for uh, in my opinion, if you're George Hill, it has to be really bad in order yeah. to keep you out, right? Like, George Hill, we know, is a, is a competitor. He likes playing and, and wanted to play against against the, the hardest challenge in the league, in, yeah. the, in the Warriors. And if, if he could have played, he would have. Well, I totally agree with that. But like you said, you read the headline and you're like, yeah. it's, a, it's a toe. Right, <laughs> it's, it's just a toe. It's it centers your whole balance. <laughs> As we're doing this podcast right now, Andy's keeping a uh, close eye on the uh, NBA lottery. What's going on right now? Yeah, they just finished it up. So uh, the Boston Celtics will be the number one pick. The Los Angeles Lakers number two pick, and so they're probably getting Lonzo Ball. That's that's going to all work out for <laughs> Lavar Ball and his family. Uh, and then number three pick went to the Philadelphia 76ers. Good so, for them. So. Lakers do keep their pick, right? If they had not been in the top three, they would have fallen out and Idiots. lost it completely. But they, by a stroke of luck, they do keep it. Uh, and then I think it's bad news for the Jazz, too, that the Celtics got that number one pick. There's some thought that maybe if they end up in third or fourth and then they have to draft a small forward, maybe they're less interested in signing Gordon Hayward. But, you know, with a point guard, that's not, not going to be an issue. The NBA would almost force a signing trade with the Jazz and Celtics, right? Like, you'd have to do something to compensate the Jazz. I mean, it's uh, we've seen time and time again where big superstar players go to different teams. I mean, the Thunder didn't get anything from the Warriors last year, that's right? so true. For Kevin Durant. Yeah. Like, it's it just... And they didn't really get worse. They just, you know, they got to the playoffs, so you're not getting a good draft pick. Yeah. I mean, they got, what was it, eight, nine, ten wins worse from season to season, but... Wow, they could become a dynasty if they play this right. I mean, they got the a Celtics? heck of a team. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, you know, if they if they draft Markel Fultz and then sign Gordon Hayward, keep Isaiah Thomas around, uh, and then just build from there. Yeah, they've got they've got a lot of stuff. Uh, that that young kid from the tournament a couple years, Hart, he's phenomenal. You know, is yeah. that his name? Hart? Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Sorry, yeah, he's a solid NBA player. He's got a lot of ambition. He's got a lot of heart, and he doesn't give up. Yeah, you could see that. They were out here for summer league mm-hmm. two years ago. Was that two summers ago? Both. Uh, yeah, yeah, two and yeah, two and last year. Yep. Yeah, and watched him play. Left it all on the court. You can tell his heart is just all in it. Yeah. You know, I like I like his style of play. I like him. When, he, he's ugly. I, I don't like his style of play because it's ugly. Like he cares a lot, yeah. you know. But <laughs> it's it's like every other like energy it. guy. But he <laughs> he misses a lot of shots and. Anyway, I, I, Marcus, he's a good player. No, don't get me wrong. Yeah. yeah, but if you're stacking a championship team, you want that kid. Oh, sure. You know, to be coming second off your bench or something like right, that. Right. You know, and I think I think that a man that work men like him and women that work like him, their work ethic can rub off on people. So I think it's a smart thing to have a kid like that. I like I like the pun intended there. Or no pun intended? Were you <laughs> no, going for that? <laughs> uh, you wrote this article today about an international point guard that the Jazz might be interested in. No. Yeah. No? <laughs> oh, you're out. Anyway, I'll, let me explain first before you say no. It's uh, Milos Teodosic. He's probably the best 
player in Europe right now. Um, it's in be- between him and one or two other guys, but he's a phenomenal point guard standing 6'5", um, maybe the best passer in the world. Quinn Snyder actually called him the best passer in the world two years ago in an interview he did. Um, he used to actually, Quinn Snyder used to coach Teodosic in Cheska Moscow when he was there and as, as an assistant coach. Phenomenal passer, excellent shooter from both three-point range and the mid-range. Um, pretty bad defender and is 30 years old. But he wants to come over to the NBA this year. His contract is done in Europe, and there are a few teams interested in him. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs, the Brooklyn Nets, the Denver Nuggets, and then also the Utah Jazz. Uh, he gave an interview two years ago. Actually, no, that was last summer in which he said that he would be most interested in signing with the Spurs or the Jazz there have been rumors that he's already met with Jazz management about possibly coming here, um, which would have to happen during the NBA's free agency period, and he'd be looking for about a three-year contract between twenty and thirty million dollars. I'm gonna need you to go to the Spurs. <laughs> yeah, you're out. <laughs> I'm out. Oh, he's so good. Like, but I, how can you say he's the best passer in the world? Like, the NBA is far different from international sure. play. We've seen him play this Olympics, and he was, you know, part of the Serbian silver medal team. And against those best players in the world and really kept Serbia with close in that game within four to five points with a minute left to go. So, you know, I, I've seen him play against the best players in the world, and I think he stacks up. Was that just one game? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, drunk maybe, NBA like, Olympics. Like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, that's fair, right? You know, the Olympics is not the level of competition of the NBA. But, um, you know, for any international guy, you look at that as maybe the best competition is they can play. And, he, and he's... Uh, Good question. I honestly haven't watched enough of, you know, the games besides the highlights to mm-hmm. know. Um, it, uh, everyone who talks about him loves him, so I get the sense that that's that he is, but I, you know, I honestly have no idea. Andy, your name holds a lot of weight. I know. So <laughs> if you put your name behind this person, then he sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be my first bad call ever, right? But uh, it'll be on freezing cold takes, that Twitter account that just retweets the the worst of, of NBA punditry. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I really do love Teodosic. Tell you what, after this or any of our listeners, go watch his highlights. Just go to YouTube, type in his name, Milos Teodosic, and watch some of his passes. And it's some stuff you've never seen before, like some, some behind the back spinning passes to cutting guys to the basket. Um, so he's just so creative with how he uses the ball. That's a lot of crazy game. new looks. Uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So the Jazz uh, need that. Yeah, I I think there's a real possibility he signs with the Jazz, and I don't I don't know that he would necessarily have to be even the starting point guard. You know, I think he could go in and be a, a good backup option for the Jazz too. They have a lot of backup point guard issues on that. That's team. a problem. They've yeah, they have three backup point guards, but none of them are actually good. Right. Mm. You know, they're all pretty replacement level players. You, so you, what do you do? Hope Dante Exum, you either go out and sign someone and just fill it, or you keep a close eye on Dante Exum over the summer and see if he, if you think he can step up and, and play in that role. Um, he had that great game four, right? That uh, really he was did turn things around. Yeah. But you look at the re- what he did for the rest of the season, and I, I don't think you can say that you can hand over those reins to him necessarily. So with that ACL injury... Mm-hmm. Isn't it really after surgery, the nine months of rehabs, and then it's almost another nine months before you start getting that explosiveness back? Yeah, but Dante Exum had 16 months. I think it was either 15 or 16 months between when he tore it and the beginning of this season. So Um, we're really at month 23 or 22 right now. Uh, Yeah, because that happened in August. So I guess we're in month 21. 
so we, you know, if, if you go by that 18 month idea, we should have seen probably three months of better play than from Dante Axum than, than we actually saw. And I know a lot of people are like, okay, we got to give him time. Like you guys are talking about Dante yeah. Axum. He's been injured. He uh, hasn't played that much in the NBA. We got to give him time. How much more time does he need? And to me, it doesn't really help him out that he's not getting that much playing time because how are you supposed to get better if you're not getting game-like experiences? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And then to me, I would say, A, he should have accepted the send-down to the D-League, right? Because that would have been perfect for him to get 30, 35 minutes a night in, in the D-League against, and against you know, clearly not NBA-caliber players, but have a chance to learn on the floor and, and learn game situations. Some of the stuff he's been lacking because really his last level of competition was Australian high school basketball, right? Like yeah. it just doesn't compare. And I think he needed those reps, um, but he, he turned down that contract. He turned down that send down, if you will. So um, that was kind of a missed opportunity in my book. I, I, I agree that he needs playing time. I don't know that it's so important that he gets playing time that you can give him playing time at the detriment of the rest of the team. And a lot of people will hate that because they, you know, you see again how well he played in Game Four, and yeah. you can say, well, he's better than Shelvin Mack out there, and he's better than Howell Neto out there. Sure, absolutely, that's true. I don't know that he's to the standard that the Jazz would like out of that position. Could it be a confidence issue as well? Because yeah. you're not getting that playing time, you go out there and you're like, okay, I can't screw this up. This is my chance, and maybe that's why he didn't want to go down to the D League too, because. He felt, I've been working so hard, maybe. I don't know. I don't talk yeah. to him. You do. Uh, <laughs> I've been working so hard, you know, that's kind of like a slap in the face to go down. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely league. right. I think you're. that's why he didn't. And I think there is that, you know, confidence is, is a part of it. Um, I, it's, it's so hard because I, clearly, in my mind anyway, looking at the stats and looking at how he played, I don't think he deserved uh, consistent playing time with his play this year. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know how Why you turn. I think you have to turn that around by having him improve this year and over this summer. This is really his first NBA summer when he's not rehabbing from the injury, and you know, give him a chance to win those minutes in practice at the beginning of the year. Is he eligible to play in the D League, or is he past that? Uh, yeah, he he would be eligible. He has to um he has to accept that send down, if you will. Though you think so he would? He would he get no. made fun of if he did that, or? Um, clearly I think he and his agent thought that that would happen. I, I think the, like Rondo went down to the D league a couple of years ago when he was returning from his torn ACL. Like in my mind, the D league has earned some level of respect that he wouldn't be made fun of, but clearly him. Sandy out of Gaines is there. Well, yeah, <laughs> he was, Sandy out of Gaines was actually pretty bad in the D he's league this legend, year. Don't though. tell anyone. Uh, he's yeah, exactly. That's my, maybe my favorite NBA game ever was when he hit that shot. But ultimately, uh, I I would have I would have liked to see him get some time there and and you know just see what he can do against and if he can dominate those level of players then bring him back up and kind of see and maybe that gives him the confidence yeah. to see the ball go in the basket a few times. Do you ever wonder why the Utah Jazz don't trade players during the year because they don't do it very often it's seldom. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think some of it is that they've you know with this. I think the old front office was really, really conservative. The Kevin O'Connor front office, this new Dennis Lindsay front office, you know, that is a complete uh, is a hundred percent change. You know, they they've really let everyone, nearly everyone, go. There are only a couple of holdovers from the last regime, um, and I think they are more aggressive. I think we've seen that on draft night, especially. 
Uh, and then as far as why they don't trade during the year, I think mostly it's just that they have all these young guys that they want to just see grow up and have them give them a chance to, uh, to do something during the year. What got you into wanting to follow and then end up making a career of basketball? I, I mean, I was, I was a jazz fan growing up, you know, the Stockton Malone days. And then, um, you know, I was something I could do with my dad growing up. And, and my, I remember my dad bought a truck from Larry Miller and got like a half season <laughs> ticket pack, package, right? For these upper bowl corner tickets. And so I would go to these games and, it was the um, Carlos Arroyo year, if you remember, just that, that sure 40 <laughs> win 2003-2004 season that no one expected the Jazz to be good at all, but they were actually really fun. Uh, and so I kind of fell in love with the team then, especially going to those games um, with my summer job money in high school. You know, I bought these season tickets from the Jazz that were $5 a game and would just, you know, go and I, I liked watching them. And then it kind of then the jazz held this contest where they wanted people to write for their website so mm. i signed up for that didn't make it the first year i did it made it the second year i did it and just kind of started writing about the team that way and it kind of kind of grown from there how important is that you say you didn't make it the first year yeah but you tried again the second year like michael jordan yeah a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people you know especially in our in our field <laughs> I, i'm gonna call you aka michael jordan uh, uh yeah a lot of people in our field they'll they see it as like okay no one wants me i failed like i'm you know i did this one time i got shot down that means i'm never gonna make it as a reporter a producer yeah. a, you know a writer what made you keep going that's a good question. I think what made me keep going was that I, I still thought I could. And I, I guess I was kind of disappointed in my first effort. You know, I, I showed it to some people and they were like, well, that's that's probably not what they want. And here's why. Uh, I, I kind of talked a lot about myself and my experience as a jazz fan. And what I what I was told was, no, you need to make it relatable to an audience that would actually read it. So talk about the jazz. Talk about Milos Teodosic. You know, talk about things that people want to read about. And then, you know, you'll you'll have an audience that, that the Jazz would want. So for me, it was the biggest key there was getting that feedback and learning and, and having the ability to kind of realize that I, I sucked at first and then I could improve by taking these steps. And I, I, I think I've How did you done improve that. Because a lot of people that don't succeed at first, they're not, they, they'll kind of repackage whatever they're doing and represent it. Did you completely break everything down and really focus on learning how to write and learning your grammar and learning how to tell a story? Yeah, um, and I think you know this was tell a good story. And and I think this was okay when (laughs) (laughs) this was when I was really young too, right? Like this is when I was still in school. So I think like me developing as a writer just from going to like my English classes and 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 my college honors classes made a big difference. Um, But yeah, I think like breaking, being able to break it down and. Um, knowing what I was, again, knowing what I was bad at and kind of working on those things and then steering towards my strengths, which have kind of always been math and stats. Analytics. Analytics, yeah, yeah um, was was a, a smart move too. That's kind of where the new writer in sport is. Your generation is really focused on analytics. Do you think that that will be around in 10 years? Yeah, I mean it'll definitely be around. I mean, I I don't see any reason why this analytics movement. Well, would there's been go some away. egg on the faces with the Houston Rockets, where one year they're an anomaly based on their statisticians, yeah. and then they kind of go back to below the league a little bit, and then they delve away a little bit, and then they come back. It, it 
You see yeah, it. but on the other hand, the San Antonio Spurs have been like the best organization in the last twenty years. And right? Dennis and I, Lindsay's a big analytics guy too. Uh, he's, I would say he's a middling analytics guy, and that he, uh, I don't think the Jazz are a. Yeah, but he top pulls rough stats out of out of his ass. Like. Yeah, but that's because he can't. Because <laughs> he has to give all these presentations to the NBA about why he thinks that the refs are are not in favor of the Jazz. Yeah, I, I mean, it, certainly, I think there's a the, the Jazz have a good analytics department and then they have a good scouting department too. And Dennis really thinks that you can get a lot from both perspectives, which honestly is is something I agree with too. I, I don't think you can safely ignore one or the other anymore, right? How do you I, judge a player or judge a team? Um, I watch a ton of video. Mm. I, I don't think that people realize how much um video stats people watch, but I'll like I'll I, I will probably go to their stat page first, and I I'll look at the numbers, and then I really kind of I, I don't know that I write down questions, but I I some questions immediately come to mind, like why you know why is why are they so successful from the three point line or. Uh, why is it that they're getting all these baskets on offensive rebounds? What are, you know, what is it that they do well? What is it that they do poorly? And, and kind of just start asking yourself questions that you can learn from the video. And then watching the video leads to more questions. And you kind of just take down these notes and, and then eventually build a story. Here's my problem with you yeah. and other stat people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two problems. One, you guys like, Makeup stats, not makeup stats. No, my it's because I'm a LeBron hater, okay? okay? And you guys will be like, LeBron, first player in NBA history to score 50 points in two minutes. Like, Yeah. No, I mean, it's all cherry-picked, right? Like, for <laughs> I sure. Hate it. I, I'm like, like, only when it's like somebody like a LeBron, but if it's for somebody I like, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> let me retweet this. Yeah, I know, right. Like, those, <laughs> they're totally just cherry-picked, so, like, they get the retweets as much as possible. Yeah. And I think that, it, like, it's important to differentiate between uh, stats for attention yeah. getting and stats for really trying to figure out what's going on at the heart of the matter. And that's, you know, one thing that I, I do commend about you, like, uh, going into post-game. You'll be like, Coach Q, you guys were blah, 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 blah from the three-point line. I'm like, what the hell? Like, the game just <laughs> ended. How does he know this? I'm like, dude, now I'm not even going to ask a question because I'm going to be stupid. <laughs> no, I mean, I like, I I want to prep those things ahead. Of, like, I, I always want to – my goal in these post-gamers, and I've been worse at this recently than I was when I first started, but I want to ask something that – I don't already know the answer to, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our jobs are is kind of really obvious sometimes where you're just like, well, they scored more points, right? How yeah. Did that suck or what? You know, like, how do you <laughs> feel about that? Well, it's a real bummer. You know, like, I think if you ask them questions that you don't know the answer to or we don't know the answer to, and it's a little bit harder on TV, I think, because mm-hmm. you kind of have to show your viewers yeah. what you already know. Um, but for me, I can do that in other ways, and then I want to hear from Quinn Snyder and the players what it is that they saw that I didn't see. Because, like, sometimes you'll say something. Coach Q, like, I see his reaction. He'll be like, what What the heck? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. I got to watch the tape. There's like, definitely, like, a love-hate <laughs> thing going on there. Where, but like, it's, I love it. It's funny. Quinn, Quinn sometimes likes my questions, and then sometimes he doesn't want to answer my questions because <laughs> it'd be giving away too much, and then sometimes he just doesn't know the answer to my questions because, anyway, it's, um, I, I love Quinn. I, you know, I think... I think we have a really good relationship. No, I like it. It's fun. But, again, I'm like, yo, the game just ended. How, <laughs> I need my calculator. I need this to figure that what out. What kind of burden is that saying that you love Coach Quinn when, at the end of the day, you're a journalist? Yeah, you have to be. Um, a fine line. Yeah, no, I think 
that's one way I think where the stats have really helped. Mm-hmm. And and it's really hard to do this with coaches because like there aren't great coach stats. But with players, I'll give you an example. I thought Trey Burke was honestly like the best person to deal with in the Jazz's locker room for the first two years of his NBA career. Like he was really insightful. I thought he was really really interesting. He would give me really X's and O's answers, give me what the basketball player was thinking about, and I loved it. It's just, unfortunately, you look at the stats and he was really, really bad. You know, he, like, <laughs> he was the first NBA player in 50 years to shoot under 36% of the, from the field or something like, you know, like just some awful, he was, he was bad. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so I think that's where you can like look at the stats a little bit and be like, okay, I like this guy, but unfortunately the numbers just don't add up. You're not producing. Um, I can't talk to you. Yeah, with a with with yeah. Well, I I still want to talk I'm to the kidding, guy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And maybe he doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Though is the problem because you've written some mean stuff about him. Um, Ennis Cantor was that way. I wrote some mean stuff about his defense. Both you and I know his defense was bad, but he didn't like that I wrote about it. You gotta be with realistic. Quinn, with Quinn, you know there aren't those stats, and so I think you have to be. I think you have to you know, make a, a measured effort to look at both sides of, of every issue, kind of like a normal journalist would with a politics mm. issue or whatever it is. How did you learn to keep your composure around these athletes that you probably idolized as a younger kid? So, for instance, when the Lakers come into town a couple years ago and you see Kobe Bryant and the circus that's around him, mm-hmm. I imagine that, because the first time I saw him, I was like, dude, that's Kobe Bryant. Yeah. yeah, you know. So, how did you learn to wrangle that part of your profession? Um, that happened really quick for me once I realized how much they hated us. Mm. Like, really, that was that. Like, you know, I, as a jazz fan, before I got this job, I really liked Gordon Hayward, right? You know, he's he's was the young guy growing up with team and everything else. And then you walk in and and start talking to Gordon Hayward, and you can tell it's it's the worst part of his day, right? Like, he yeah. doesn't want to talk to you. He wants this over as as quickly as possible. And that, to me at least, removes the idol effect really quickly. To me, he gives fake answers. Oh, for sure. Like, he gives you answers half the time that he knows you guys want to hear, we want to hear, you know? It's just like, dude, be real sometimes. Yeah, and and it's hard because he wants to keep that distance because I think he's been burned in the past. Yeah. And and I get that. It's it's hard. I, you know, we, we, I I want uh, athletes to open up and be honest. But yeah, I mean, Last week on the radio show, we did a, a little segment on whether or not these end of season media availability answers were true, were truths or lies, right? Like yeah. whether the players were lying to us or not. <laughs> Two right? truths like, and a lie. Yeah, <laughs> and we were getting a lot of that, and so Gordon Hayward especially. And you know, it's, I I like Gordon Hayward, and I think Gordon Hayward's a good guy. Everyone you talk to, if you talk to him off the record, it's it's good. But um, you know, there's just that distance that he wants to keep. Do you think part of that distance is created by the journalists and media outlets yes. being in a locker room? Um, yeah, I, I think. I think it's very creepy. Yeah, it, it's pretty creepy. But then you get them outside the locker room in a, in a press conference scenario, and I think you get even more cliche yep. distanced answers. So I agree that it's creepy. I don't know that there's a better way to get more real stuff. No, I I agree. I just I'd like I'd almost like to see that aspect go and maybe even do a presser setting or set up a banner outside of a locker room and yeah. where they're dressed and But that takes way too much time because who tweeted the picture the other day? I think you were in it. 
Yes, we're like waiting an hour and a half for... For Trey Lyles. Yeah. yeah. And so we started watching Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> like, <laughs> legitimately, just watching old Supermarket Sweep YouTube videos. Kareem really hit that point home when he was on our show last time was, I don't have time to wait. Like, yeah. I've got to get my deadlines in. Yeah. Yeah, especially for him. I mean, mm. and you guys, too, could trying to get something TV, for the 10 o'clock 10 news. 10 o'clock news. That's tight. Yeah. So you grab your Coach Q, one player, and you're out. Maybe two. Um. Before we go, Andy, I know uh, time is winding down. I do want to ask you some mm-hmm. questions. Okay. These are yes or no questions Just right off the top of your head. One word? Or one word. One word answers are either yes or no. Okay. Honest answers. Do it. All right. Who was the biggest bust in NBA history? NBA history. Probably. Hurry up. Ooh, Anthony Bennett. <laughs> was it Phil Jackson or the players that got him 11 NBA titles? Players. Is the NBA draft lottery rigged? No. Who is the next iconic athlete? N- NBA athlete? Uh-huh. That's not in the NBA yet. That's not in the NBA. Lonzo Ball. Are you going to get his sneakers? No. <laughs> Who is the best coach right now, NBA? Uh, Popovich. Should athletes be paid as much as they are? No. Is Gordon Hayward a franchise player? Yes. Is Gordon Hayward leaving the Jazz? No. Who was the best NBA team ever? Ooh. Uh, Five, four, three, two. This year's Warriors. Ooh, hot take. (laughs) Should college athletes be paid? Yes. Who wins the NBA championship this year? Warriors. They're the best team ever, after all. (laughs) You're right. Pick for MVP. James Harden. Right? I mean, I'm going off of only regular season. Yes. James Harden's regular season, I think, was better than everybody else's. Okay. Uh, Should we measure greatness by championships? I think it's a big factor. Yeah. One word answer. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You can't say Robert Ory is better than Michael Jordan because he's got seven and MJ's got six, but I think it's a factor. Well, here we go. MJ or LeBron? LeBron. Are you single? Yes. Ready to mingle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes or no? Uh, oh, ready Are to you ready to mingle? Yeah. She wants some. <laughs> no. no, those are all the answers or questions I had for you. Those are some interesting answers, though. Yeah, I, I'm regretting some of them already. Why? <laughs> Which ones? Uh, MJ or LeBron, I was probably wrong about. I'll probably go MJ. Why? But but a lot of people are all right, saying LeBron. Who wins more with Scottie Pippen? Oof. Uh, probably still MJ. Hmm. At least, you know, th- so far in this in their careers, and LeBron's still got a lot of time left. Michael Jordan's probably the right answer to that question. He was very good. I also kind of regret the Warriors being the best team ever, but <laughs> they're, they were, won 73 wins last year and then added Kevin Durant. Like, that's just mind-blowing. Did you like that move, that they added Kevin Durant? Just not from the Warriors' perspective, but from if you are or were a Kevin Durant fan. Like, yeah, did no, you think I, that was effed up? Yeah, a little bit. Like, I... I, I think it's better for the NBA as a whole if he's playing for another team. Now, stacking your team, um, a lot of people are saying, Golden State Warriors, you're stacking your team. Cleveland Cavaliers, stacking your team, you know, blah, 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 blah. Does that make the NBA fun? Does it? Is it stupid? Does it make it more challenging? I think it makes the NBA fun for casual fans, and I think it makes it less interesting for serious fans like you and I. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it makes it so that we know who's going to be in the finals this year. You know, I, yeah. I don't think there's really much drama in these conference finals. No. And so that that means it lessens the importance of the rest of the season. Because obviously I'm not a professional athlete, but if I was, I wouldn't want to be on the same team as somebody who was supposed to be 
as good as me or better than me. I want to play against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, there are a lot. Of, even Kevin Durant said that right before he, he tweeted that out <laughs> yeah, three you years say before, that. right? And so, uh, it's easier said than done sometimes when legacies are at stake. And then when you have the money, right? So. All right, Andy, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, at Andy B. Larson. On Instagram, same thing, at Andy B. Larson. And, uh, of course, you can find my work on KSL.com. All right, Sasha, where can people find you? Mr. Underscore Bloom, I guess. Uh, yeah, Mr. Yes. Underscore Bloom on Twitter. Bloom right. underscore Sasha on Instagram. And I got some of the best sport videos in Utah on my Instagram page. Taking you behind the scenes, right up there on the floor, on the court, and uh, a lot of women's sport, too. Because you guys don't follow that enough, you journalists. Sure, we don't. That's Andy's fault. No, it's honestly, it's both of our fault. We should do (laughs) do way more of it. Don't put me in that. (laughs) Find me on Twitter, at bjohnsonabc4. And I hope I see you at regionals for softball, Brittany Johnson. Talk to George Stevenson. Mm, I will.